Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. So over the summer, we have been studying through the book of Proverbs and learning how to apply its ancient wisdom to our modern lives. And uh, our key text for this series, brought to us by the wisest man to ever live, according to scripture, uh, is found in the opening lines of the beginning of this book, where he begins to uh, share his heart and his intention, his purpose behind authoring the majority of these Proverbs. He says in Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 3, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel, their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the, uh, the insights of the wise, to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. Uh, and as we read there, and as we've reminded ourselves of every single week, this idea of biblical wisdom is not knowledge alone. It's not simply something you know to do. According to Solomon, it is applied knowledge. He says to do what is just and right and fair. And so it isn't enough to simply know what the scripture says, as it reminds us in the book of James. Don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. And today we will continue on in that concept of applied knowledge as we look into another proverb, uh, one that many of you probably read this week if you've been joining us on our daily uh, Proverbs reading, uh, just invite you in if you haven't done so already. Uh, all throughout this series, we've invited the church to join us in reading the Proverbs every single day. Uh, I, I mentioned this at the beginning of the series. It's been a practice of mine for almost 20 years now, and it's developed a mantra in my life, which I offer up to you. A proverb a day keeps the stupid away. Come on, how many could use some of that? Okay. So uh, there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and there's usually 30 or 31 days in most months. So we just read the corresponding chapter to the date. And this last week on the 10th, we read a proverb that uh, I am excited to unpack a little bit today. It's Proverbs 10, 25, and it says this. When the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have a lasting foundation. The godly have a lasting foundation. That's a good promise. Uh, one that I wanna unpack for our few moments together. So uh, as we get into the word, if you're taking notes, I wanna title this chat, How to Prepare for a Storm. How to Prepare for a Storm. Let's pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come and speak over the next couple of moments. And we thank you, Jesus, that your presence is already here among us. Even as we were declaring your name a few moments ago, it is obvious, it's evident that you are in the building. You're walking around and, and you're, you're already beginning to minister to and tap on people's hearts. And Lord, we ask over the next couple of moments as we go to your word that you would do what you've promised, that you would change us from the inside out. It's living, it's alive and active, it's a breathing organism making its way into our hearts and transforming the way we live. And specifically over this area of, of foundation in our life, we. We pray, as we've been praying every week in this series, according to James chapter one, uh, that if we lack wisdom, you would give it to us. Help us to make wise decisions in what we are establishing our lives upon. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, say amen like you did a few moments ago with your volume. Yeah, there you go, all right. <laughs> So I've mentioned from the stage before, and I haven't talked about it much, but I have mentioned it, that I have a background in real estate. 
And uh, although I'm not really practicing any longer, uh, little bits here and there, my family for the last 10 years has uh, made a living uh, flipping homes. Uh, back when my wife was on Instagram, uh, I miss her on Instagram, uh, but back when she was on social media, uh, she used to post pictures of the before and after version of these homes and she would use a little hashtag called flipping biddles uh, in hopes that like someone from HGTV would reach out and give us a show, you know, pastors who flip houses. But alas, the phone never rang. Uh, so she got off Instagram. Um, but uh, as you can imagine, uh, over the last 10 years of flipping homes, we've seen some, some interesting things. Um, we've seen hoarder homes, and uh, people live in very crazy ways. Uh, hopefully that doesn't apply to anyone in the room today. If it does, we will come to your house, and we will help. Uh, and we've seen some dead animals in homes. We've seen fire damage. We've seen live infestations. Uh, we actually did a, a property one time out in the country where there were literally 12, uh, 20 different outbuildings that had a bed and a nightstand in them, and we discovered later on that they were used to house migrant workers illegally. Like, we've seen some crazy stuff. Uh, but on our last project, I saw a first, uh, one that, that I, I regret because I probably could have avoided it, yet it turned out to be one of the costliest and most time-consuming endeavors in any of our projects thus far. It started by committing the cardinal mistake. I, I purchased a home without consulting our contractor first. Uh, and so when I walked him in to show him what I believe to be a cosmetic fixer, uh, he immediately stopped me in the middle of a sentence and he said, what did you buy? <laughs> And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's a house, it should be an easy one. And for the next 20 minutes, he began to walk me around the property and show me in exhaustive detail all of the overwhelming evidence of a failed foundation in this property. Uh, he showed me the large cracks inside some load-bearing walls. Uh, he, he showed me the crumbling concrete on the perimeter of the exterior. Uh, he showed me the two-inch variance between the garage floor and the driveway. And, and then the kicker, he took me in the kitchen and he grabbed a roll of duct tape and he put it on one side of the kitchen, and that sucker might as well have been on a slide. It just went straight across the floor. And I'm like, oh, what did I do? And he's like, exactly. So for the next five months and lots of money later, uh, we went about the painful, expensive, arduous process of repairing this foundation in this home. And I can remember thinking over and over and over again throughout that process, I wish I had seen the evidence. I wish I had slowed down just a couple of moments, and it would have actually looked at the evidence sitting in front of me. It would have revealed that I, I was purchasing something that I shouldn't have purchased. But because I didn't see the evidence, I ended up buying into something that had a faulty foundation. And I can't help but wonder if, if that reality does not describe the lives of many believers. Having bought into a version of faith that looked good on the outside. It seemed easy enough to do. Yet over time, they found themselves with what Solomon describes as a failing or a faulty foundation. It's been sinking after years of neglect. It finds itself cracked and fractured under the pressures of life. And unbeknownst to many of those believers, when the storm comes, that thing's gonna crumble. It's going to fall at the feet of the crashing waves. I wonder if that describes the lives of anyone here. And we would be wise to consider that possibility because Solomon starts off this proverb today with a very intentional word, an important word, one that we find all throughout the scriptures, but a very inconvenient one, yet something we need to tune into. He opens up this proverb with the word, when. 
He says, when the storms of life come. He does not say if. He says, when. Here's your good news for today. Storms are coming. (laughs) To the righteous and to the unrighteous alike, to the wicked, to the godly, there will be some storms in this life. It is an equal opportunity. They are promised to all of us. Come on, how many believers in the room could testify, even the church attending, Bible reading, Jesus fish on the back of your minivan, Caleb, not of this world t-shirt wearing Christian, still go through some storms. Come on, somebody, yeah. Yeah, we all are gonna walk through some seasons of storms. In fact, I would suggest that storms are more likely to the believer. When you said yes to Jesus, you actually painted a target on your back for the enemy's assault. You became a greater threat to the kingdom of hell. Storms are par for the course when it comes to being a believer. The enemy is not pleased with the fact that you made a decision to follow Jesus. But as I remind our church of over and over and over again, you should welcome that opposition because opposition is proof that you are living in the center of God's will for your life. The enemy doesn't mess with the people sitting on the couch, lazy, no good Christians showing up on Christmas and Easter. No offense. No, he's more interested in messing with the people that have made a decision, I'm gonna follow Jesus with the entirety of my life and I will make an impact for his kingdom. So if the enemy is opposing you, understand it is confirmation that you are in the center of God's will. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, buckle up, buttercup. There are some storms coming your way. This life comes complete with financial storms and emotional storms and vocational storms and familial storms. Go down the list. You're gonna face some opposition. But those storms do not have to lead to your destruction. They do not have to decimate your life. Solomon tells us that we have the opportunity to build our lives on a foundation that is lasting. A foundation that can stand in the middle of every single storm. No matter how big the waves get, no matter how much rain, no matter the diagnosis, no matter how far the kids are away from Jesus, regardless of the storm, you have the ability to build your life on something that is unshakable. But that is contingent upon a single word. And that word is suggested by the title of our chat today. And here it is. Preparation. Preparation. It is not enough to know that a storm is coming. As we've said all throughout this series, knowledge without application is simply foolishness. And only a fool would read the word and understand that a storm is coming but not prepare. So the question then becomes, how do we prepare for the inevitable storms promised to us? Or or maybe better asked in light of the context of this proverb, how do we build our lives on this lasting foundation? For that, we need to move forward in the scriptures, get out of Proverbs and move into the New Testament and look at the words of Jesus in his most famous sermon. Uh, ever preached. As he gets ready to conclude his sermon in true preacher fashion, he calls the band to the stage. Uh, The keys player gets up there and starts playing the whale harp sounds, you know, gets really emotional in the room. And then this is how Jesus concludes 
his sermon. He says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise, the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it, they're foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So, just like that. <laughs> so, Jesus here in proverbial fashion, he, he begins to contrast the lives of two individuals. The wise person and the foolish person. And like Solomon said, both of these individuals find themselves in a storm. The, the waves crash, the torrential rains come, both of them, it's an equal opportunity for storms. But what separates the wise person from the fool is not the quality of the materials that they built their house with. It isn't the architectural design of their life, nor is it, listen, the way that they respond in the middle of the storm. No, the, the, the thing that separates the two individuals is one word, it's preparation. What did they do before the storm ever came. According to Jesus, the fool did nothing. He heard the word of God. He knew what was being asked of him. He sensed the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He had the opportunity to repent of his sin or step into the opportunities that were being presented to him. But he never crossed over that line of obedience. He never chose to do. He never applied the knowledge. He just sat in this place of indifference and disobedience. And as a result of doing nothing, when the storms of life came, his foundation was revealed for what it truly was. Sure, for a season, it looked like he had a, a great life. He was enjoying himself. He had, he had an oceanfront view. But when the storms came, he looked down and realized, my life has been built on sand, and it was washed away. The wise woman, on the other hand, and yes, I made her a woman, because we discovered at the beginning of this series in Proverbs that wisdom is personified as a woman, and all the ladies said, hey, man, yes. <laughs> Someone's really pleased about that. I like it. The wise woman, on the, woman, on the other hand, had a different response. She, too heard the word of God. She knew what was being asked of her. She sensed the conviction of the Holy Spirit to repent of sin. Her, her wisdom was not found in her sinlessness. No, she responded when the Holy Spirit convicted her. She stepped into the opportunities that were being presented to her by God. She obeyed. She listened and obeyed. She wasn't content to come to church, play the games, check the box, say, okay, I attended, but I'm never gonna allow what I hear in the house of God or the presence of Jesus or the conviction of the Holy Spirit to transform the way. I no, she stepped into obedience. And as a result of her obedience, when the storms came, just like they came for the fool, she found herself on a different foundation. She found herself capable of standing in the middle of any storm because she had built her life on bedrock. 
bedrock. Someone say bedrock. I love that word. I love that the New Living Translation uses that word. You know what bedrock is, right? Bedrock is that solid ground. It's deep beneath the surface. You gotta go beyond the sediment and the dirt and the clay to get down to bedrock. In other words, there is no bedrock for the shallow believer. No, you can't have a shallow existence with Jesus and expect to share the fate of the wise woman. We have to plant our roots deep down into his love, deep down into his presence. We have to go beyond the surface of church living and we need to find ourselves deeply rooted in Christ to experience that reality. Bedrock. I I shared uh, this story, I think once before, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. I can't remember, it's all a blur at that point. But uh, when we weren't sure what the future was gonna hold or when we were gonna be able to gather again in week one of our series, uh, when we filmed it in Michelle's Michelle's living room. I'm thinking about this, I'm like a little PTSD, I'm kind of wincing right now. Uh, but, I, but I shared this story, and I couldn't help but, but think about it again as, uh, as I was preparing this week's sermon. Um, years ago, after we moved to San Francisco, I was talking with somebody here at the church about our desire to one day buy a home and establish roots down here in the city. Uh, and at the time, we were renting a property uh, over by Lake Merced. And in fact, it was right across the street from Lake Merced and had a beautiful waterfront view. And we'd gotten this like crazy deal that no one should have ever gotten on it. And there was an office downstairs and more than one bathroom. I mean, it was luxury at its finest for sure. And I was sharing with him that, uh, that the owners at least seemed a little bit open to the idea of selling us the property that we were living in one day. Uh, but as soon as I shared with him our plans to one day purchase this home, he just kind of shook his head and looked at me very nervous. And I'm like, wait, what, do you know something about the house? Like, what's the deal? And he's like, well, hey, um, I don't think that you should live down there in the Sunset District. And I'm like, well, what do you mean down there in the Sunset District? And he began to explain to me at the time, I, I did not know that the vast majority of the Sunset District is built on sand dunes. Apparently back in the early 19, I'm not trying to make anybody nervous if you live in the Sunset District, all right? But, uh, back in the early 1900s, they, they leveled out a bunch of the sand dunes and they built most of what we're living in today. Uh, he, on the other hand, lives in a neighborhood behind the church called Forest Hill, and uh, all of those houses are built on bedrock. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not gonna bust him out. He may or may not be in the room right now. Uh, but he was very proud of the fact that his house was built on bedrock and the rest of us sand dwellers were below. And he knew something, that if a storm of epic proportions were ever to hit this part of San Francisco, if the tsunami warnings that we see on Sloat ever actually took place, that he would be standing confidently up there on his back porch, waving at all of us plebeians being washed out to sea because we lived in the dunes of the Sunset District. Well, let me tell you something today. You actually have the opportunity to build your life on something unshakable. You can, I'm inviting you, the Holy Spirit is inviting you to build your life, yes, on bedrock. You may not be able to afford to live in the hills of San Francisco. However, you have been invited to establish your life on something that is unshakable, like the confidence of my friend living on bedrock. How? The same way that Jesus said this woman did. By listening and obeying the word of God. Here's the thought. Today's obedience prepares you for tomorrow's storm. Think about that for a moment. 
every time the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, every time he asks you to lay something down or to step into something that might be terrifying or even painful, it isn't because he's trying to rob you of your joy or make your life miserable. It's because in his omniscience, he sees a storm coming in your future and he is giving you the opportunity to prepare. Today's obedience prepares us for tomorrow's storm. So to that end, let me ask you the personal question as I do every single week. Are you prepared? Are you prepared? If you, if you walked into the most horrific spiritual storm of your life tomorrow morning, would you be able to stand confidently in today's obedience? Do you respond quickly to the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Is there a, a default yes in your heart before God ever asks the question? Yes, Lord. Or, like many believers, do you find yourself plagued by what I would call delayed obedience? I'm gonna jump into this in a couple of weeks in another sermon in this series, but I'll drop a little Easter egg for it right now. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. I think what so many of us do is we have this one day mentality about saying yes to obeying God's word or stepping into what he asks for us. One, one day I will stop looking at pornography as long as you know, I can get married and have all the sex I want. Sorry, is that too real for a Sunday morning? <laughs> what well, one day I'll tithe and give my resources to God, but that's when I get another job and I can afford to do so because right now I just can't. Uh, one day I'll serve, but right now my schedule is just too busy. And one day I'll do what God is asking me to do, but right now it's really inconvenient for my current lifestyle. And so God understands. Be careful. <laughs> Be careful with del delayed obedience. Yeah, Jonah eventually got to Nineveh, but he got eaten by a fish on the way. <laughs> Is there a yes in your heart? That's why it says in the book of Hebrews, I think it's chapter four, today, if you hear his voice, today, if you sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit, don't wait till tomorrow to do what he's asking you to do. No, step into what he's asking today. So are you prepared? Have you built your life on an unshakable foundation? Have you established the bedrock? Or are, are there some rocks in your life that still need to be established? Let me just throw out a few. Maybe one of the rocks that you need to establish in your life is a rock of purity. Like I'm building my life, I'm being obedient in my purity. I, I, I'm, I'm willing to say no to the relationship I'm in right now because I know it doesn't honor God. I'm willing to lay down the lifestyle. I'm willing to lay down the addiction. I'm willing to lay down those things that have me captive right now because I wanna build my life on the stable rock of purity. And, and maybe you're here this morning, you're like, yo, that ship has sailed for me. <laughs> the purity ship has left the building. I'm no longer qualified. God is not asking what you did in your past. He's asking whether you're going to obey him today. Come on, every day is a new opportunity for his mercy and his grace to establish those things. Or, I mean, you know, since I already said sex and made it uncomfortable, let's talk about another uncomfortable word, tithing. <laughs> Have you established the rock of tithing in your life? Generosity, giving to God. 
Again, later on in this series, before we, we conclude, I want to do an entire week on financial wisdom. Not just giving, because giving is just one part of the financial wisdom component that's made available to us here in the book of Proverbs. But I will say this today. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus and you are not giving, you need to fix that immediately. You need to establish that rock in your life. Yeah, generosity, yes, it does make us candidates for the blessing of God, but more importantly, it establishes the foundation as God, your provider in your life. You are making a statement with your resources that I do not trust in any other source, but God, you are my provision. You gave this to me in the first place and I will gladly give it back to you. You build your life on that. Listen, God is not obligated to provide for those who have not established that foundation in their lives. But when you do, you get to claim every promise made to you in scripture. You can say, as David said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken. I have never seen their seed begging for bread. And although things might look like I'm in a storm financially right now, I know my God will provide for me. You gotta build your life on that one. And again, I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom here, but if the economic storm that we're facing as a nation right now gets any worse, you wanna know that God is your provider. As a guy that's walked through a recession and seen God miraculously provide for every single one of his family's needs, let me tell you, you wanna know that your employer is not your provider, your 401k is not your provider, your IRA is not your provider, your government is not your provider, but your God in heaven who owns a cattle on a thousand hills is your provider. You need to establish that one in your life. Oh, I will. Maybe, maybe you need to establish the rock of, of God's word in your life. Build your life upon this. Hey, let me, let me remind you, the storm of temptation is never gonna stop coming your direction. I, I, I forget how long ago we taught this sermon, but this, this thought stuck out to me. I think it was in the book of James. Your temptations will likely be your temptations for the rest of your life. So, so you can't just pretend like they're gonna go away one day. No, you need to understand how to prepare yourself for those temptations. How do we do that? We know what the word of God says. David says in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Temptation is not sin, but what you do with temptation determines whether or not you fall into sin or you live in victory. You need to build your life upon this book. Or maybe it's a rock of prayer that needs to be established in your life. I know it's one of the hardest disciplines, the one that we feel like doing the least most of the time. But that needs to be an established foundation in our lives. I remember hearing a pastor say one time, it, it, it messed with me in the best way possible. He said, there is nothing more prideful than a prayerless person. Because a prayerless person believes that they don't need God involved in their life. They've never invited him in. But then he said this, he said, be careful about choosing to not involve God in your life now because you might need him later on. <laughs> now, whether or not that's 100% theologically accurate, whether or not God stays away if we don't pray, I, I don't know. I do know what it says in Matthew 7, that we need to prepare ourselves in advance. So I would much rather have prayers that I've built my life upon than the 911 flares that I have to send out in the middle of a bad situation. Have you established the rock of prayer? And those are four of many. But, but I'm asking, you know the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. Are, are there areas of your life that you've built as firm foundations or are there some sandy spots? 
Because the storm is coming. It's promised. Are you prepared? And as we consider that question, I want to offer one more rock that needs to be established in our lives, the most important rock, uh, and one that I would be remiss if I did not mention before we conclude. And, and as I do this, I'll invite the worship team to come. Uh, we, might, we might sing a song again. We'll see what happens here. Um, this is the part of the sermon where I had a really difficult time preparing this week. Uh, I got stuck here for, for quite some time. In fact, even after I sent my notes out on Friday to our production team so that they could create the slides for the screen, I probably changed the ending of this sermon four or five times because just something wasn't settling right in me. And, and I've, you know, I've been preaching now for 14 years and I've written a lot of sermons and I, I've recognized that if something is not settling, it's probably because God's not done talking. There's something more he wants to say. And, and so I, I, I'm sitting in my office on Friday evening and I've erased once again the, the end of the sermon. There's those keys, just like Jesus. There he is. And, um, and I'm praying. I'm like, God, I, I don't know why. I just, I don't feel good about everything that I've said up until this point. And I'm praying and I'm asking for clarity about the conclusion and I'm getting nothing. And uh, so I resort to worship and I turn on the, the set list that we were singing just a few moments ago. Start singing out this these hymns that have been turned into modern songs. Good piece of advice if you need to hear God get into his presence. He seems to like to talk there. So I'm worshiping in my office. And as I sing out one of the lines from this ancient hymn, I guess not ancient, two years, 200 years old is not ancient, but as I sing out this line, the Holy Spirit stops me and says, this, this is why you've been unsettled. And here was the line. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Holy trust in Jesus' name. See, if we had concluded the sermon a few moments ago, I would have left you with some, some decent advice, I think some good advice, some principles and some practices for the believer prayer and worship and giving, all, all these things are important for sure. They're, I don't think that you can survive as a believer without those principles and practices established in your life. But our hope and trust is not built on principles and practices. Our hope and trust is built upon a person. It's built upon the person of Jesus Christ. He is the only foundation. He is the only steady capable bedrock that we can build our lives upon. And I think at the conclusion of this message of his in Matthew chapter seven, his invitation is not to build our lives upon another set of principles and practices. I think his invitation is to build our lives upon him, to, to choose to establish our roots in him. In fact, I don't just think it, I know that's what he's offering. And I know that based on the title that his sermon has been given. You guys know how much I love to title sermons around here. Today's is actually a pretty boring title in comparison to some of the others we've done over the last four years. I tend to gravitate towards R&B songs from the greatest decade, the 90s. 
If you don't believe that, you can find another church, all right? That's, that's fine. <laughs> but although my sermon title today is, is, is a bit vanilla in comparison to others, it's not nearly as boring as the sermon title that we've given this sermon of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, there could have been so many great titles for that message. In light of its unparalleled brilliance, we could have called it The Goat, the greatest of all time, for sure. I like The Greatest Showman. I think it's a great movie. Uh, in light of some of his statements, uh, you've heard it said, but from now on, I say this, we could have called it From Now On. Just, just some thoughts for consideration. But, but that's not what we called it. It's literally been titled after the location that it was preached, The Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> I could never use that strategy here. We preach in a Masonic building every Sunday. <laughs> no one's downloading a podcast for, you know, the sermon from the Mason Den. Like no one's, no one's banging down the doors for that one. But despite the seeming lack of creativity in this title, I think it has a lot to do with what we're talking about today. This idea of establishing a foundation on the rock. When we hear the mountain our minds are supposed to go to another mountain. A mountain back in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, where a deliverer stood on the side of a mountain one day and he had a couple of rocks in his hands, rocks that spelled out the commands of God that were being issued to the people so that they could build their lives upon following these principles and these practices. However, history would prove that none of us have the capacity to truly build our lives upon those principles and those practices. In fact, the first set of those rocks ended up getting shattered because of the people's disobedience. And as we said last week, throughout, throughout generations, none have been able to accomplish righteousness on their own accord. All have fallen short of God's glorious standard. But now, some 4,000 years later, this new deliverer, Jesus, stands on the side of a mountain, only this time he does not have a couple of rocks in his hands. He is offering up a new foundation for his people to build their lives upon. A foundation that is not found chiseled into stones, commands that must be obeyed, but a foundation that is rooted and built upon him. He is the stone that the builders rejected that has now become the chief cornerstone. He is the rock upon which he will build his church. He is the one who stands in the middle of every storm and commands the wind and the waves to be still. And he is the only one worthy of being called a lasting foundation because he is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and he is the end. He's the stone, he's the rock, he's the bedrock that we've been offered to build our lives upon. That Jesus is standing in this room today, as he did 2,000 years ago, and he's issuing an invitation. If you find your foundation sinking, fractured, cracking under the weight of the storms of this life, there's a new foundation available to you today. It's Christ alone. It's Christ alone. I conclude with the lyrics from the original version of this hymn. It is the invitation being offered today and we'll pray after this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And every rough and stormy gale, because they're coming, my anchor holds within the veil. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen? That's the invitation. Why don't we bow our heads and we'll conclude in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for this invitation. We thank you that you have invited us to build our lives on you. And I imagine that there's people sitting here today walking through incredibly difficult seasons, trials, tribulations, storms. But Lord, I pray that the reality of those lyrics would be true in their life, that that would not just be a song on a screen, but it would be their experience. God, that their anchor would be in you, that their foundation would be in you. Maybe you're here today and you sense, as we shared a moment ago, that conviction of the Holy Spirit, the drawing, saying, son, daughter, I've invited you today to build your life upon me. Maybe you years ago followed Jesus, but you've walked away, or maybe today it's the first time you've heard he's made himself available to you. If you need to make a commitment this morning to to follow him with your life, to step over that line of obedience, to not simply know what the Bible says about him, but to obey, to to apply that knowledge and enter into relationship. I I wanna pray a simple prayer of commitment with you before we conclude. But I ask this every week. If you wouldn't mind, I always love to see who I'm praying with because I would love to continue to pray for you as you make this decision this week. If that's you today and you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, would you quickly lift up your hand and look up at me so that I know who I'm praying with? Got you in the back there, bro, awesome. Cool, oh yeah, right over there, cool. All right, we're gonna pray this all together as a community this morning. So pray it out loud with some passion so these guys don't feel isolated and praying it by themselves. Say, Jesus today I give you my life I thank you for giving yours for mine I choose to follow you to be your disciple and to build my life on you from this day forward I believe you died for my sins and you resurrected for my freedom help me to follow you from this day forward until I see you in eternity in Jesus name Come on, let's celebrate every person making that decision this morning. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.